Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have two wonderful guests with us today on the program. We have John and Lisa from Heber. How are you, John and Lisa, today? Excellent. Thank you. Happy to be here. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday. That's exactly right. We we have nothing more than we'd like to do than to do this kind of episode on a Friday. We love it. So to give you a little background about what our episode is going to be um, about today. So a couple of weeks ago, we had posted a video about the fight going on in Cody um, to help the LDS church realize that they should relocate the temple to a site that's more conducive zoned for it. And we had a lot of great responses to that video as people were re- re- um, supporting the people there in Cody who are continuing to fight this. So in the video, I mentioned several times, we've gone through this here. And by here, I meant Utah um, in my neck of the woods, kind of um, with Heber, because a temple was announced at general conference in 2021 um, for the Heber Valley. And instantly everybody went, oh no, dark skies, you know, because the Heber Valley is a gorgeous, pristine, just beautiful area, tourist destination, you know, people live there because of its, you know, the pristine qualities. Um, so then in 2022, um, September 19th, to be exact, they announced the location of this Heber Valley temple. And yes, indeed, it was in a place where <laughs> kind of our worst fears might have been realized as far as impact on just, just everything in the surrounding landscape. Very quickly after that, there was a groundbreaking and that was on um, October 8th of 2022. And President Nelson himself was there. The shovel went into the ground. Now, different post-Mormon news sources had been reporting on the temple up to that point. As soon as that shovel went in the ground and that groundbreaking happened, I myself thought it was a done deal. Did you think that, Landon? Yeah, I thought the same thing. I thought that they're, yeah. they're proceeding. I knew there was some issues with the lighting, uh, but I I knew there was a fight going around the fighting and uh, around the lighting, and I'd heard about that. Uh, but I I thought the building was going up, and yeah. they were just resolving how they were going to light it. But yep. uh, uh, Lisa and John uh, informed us that we're completely wrong. Uh, they haven't even started breaking. <laughs> As often happens, we we <laughs> had the chance to go up to Heber, and it's a beautiful area. It's right along where there's uh, some just gorgeous houses. Uh, but one thing we we learned is many of the uh, general authorities actually live right, uh, literally in the in the two or three neighborhoods that are around where this temple is going to go at. Uh, so there's certainly some influence there with that location being picked. Uh, but we were able to to stand up on the hill there where the houses were and look out over yeah. there, and and this is definitely going to have an impact. This is uh, in in my line of work we 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 say it's a it's a skyline changer uh and mm-hmm. this that's what this is going to do it's going to change the skyline of the heber valley you will be able to see this from so many locations and heber valley is where soldier soldier hollow is which is uh you know an olympic site for the cross-country skiing there's also a state park uh right there and up in the mountains you're going to be looking down on on it so it, it's definitely going to have an impact Yeah, it is. And so we were very encouraged uh, to find out that we were wrong, that just because there was a groundbreaking, it didn't mean that it was a done deal. And indeed, that there were some wonderful and amazing citizens uh, who had formed a citizens group and were trying to make some changes and go through the legal channels. So that is how we met Lisa and John when they reached out to us. And like Landon said, we were able to spend a day with them out there at this gorgeous location. So we would love for Lisa and John to introduce themselves, introduce the group that they're a part of. They prepared a wonderful slideshow just to let us know what is 
is happening in Heber? And more importantly, what can we all do as far as getting the word out or donating? We'll talk about that at the end. But yeah, let's let's meet Lisa and John and find out what is happening in Heber since we were so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. And it was great to meet you guys and have you out and uh, give you the update of what's going on. Uh, when I first talked to Rebecca, she thought we were under construction, which is not the case at all. So uh, we think it's very important to get to get the word out of where we're at and what we're still fighting and what anybody can do maybe to help us. And you had yeah, mentioned, Lisa, said that it's you had mentioned it's a little difficult um, here in Utah, even to get some of the news outlets to pick up this story and let, you know, it seems like with Cody, we're having updates from their local newspapers all the time. You know, the, the citizens are doing this here. We've heard nothing about the progress that you guys are making. So yeah, that's we're, interesting we're, to me. Yeah, we're fighting a few things. The first thing is a lot of people think it is a done deal. Mm -hmm. And they think, hey, you can't fight the church, right? The Goliath in, in the state. Um, a lot of the media is owned by the church or an entity of the church. Uh, we've had some good success with uh, some of the local media, but we're not having good success with statewide or even national uh, to get our thoughts and feelings out and, and concerns. So that's been a little bit difficult for us. Uh, but we're trying everything we can. And uh, at the end, we'll, we'll tell you where you can find out more about us. And maybe you'll buy a T-shirt uh, from one of our fundraisers to help out or something like that. But I will. I absolutely. <laughs> and our county is about 50 percent LDS, 50 percent non-LDS. So um, it's it's been difficult, really, for people to engage even. And Lisa, I want to clarify, you guys are not fighting a temple being built you're you're fighting the again you're you're much like cody they're putting it in an area that's not zoned for it and we'll show why that's important and how far off the zoning requirements they are uh and also the the, the night skies uh and the lighting of this yeah. uh, temple is the other thing that you have concerns about yeah absolutely and we've been clear right from the beginning this is not about the faith not about the religion it is absolutely about the location and the building itself, the size of it, the mass of it, um, the lighting, and we'll talk about some of these things. Um, there, Everybody thought, you said it was announced back in 21, pretty much the whole valley thought it was going to go up by the Utah Valley University, which is out on Highway 40, uh, which would make complete sense. It would be up higher on a little bit on a hill, more prominent. And that, that was the expectation of the community, but that's not what happened. Um, it's, so two things we get accused of is religious bigotry, which is not the case at all. The other one is being newcomers to the Valley. If your family hasn't been here for 150 years, you have no right and opinion to what happens here. The strange thing is we happen to be the ones fighting to preserve its rural nature and beauty. Um, and, and I don't see a lot of the older community doing that. Even that is interesting. So <laughs> that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing they're, they're perfectly willing to take your, take your tax money though, as a new Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And to raise it for the new school that's coming in. There you go. Yeah. So you guys have put together and, uh, John, you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I'm a Heber City resident. I'm one of the newcomers, as they say. 
and I came <laughs> here for the outdoors. And, you know, obviously that's what we're concerned about is the dark skies, is the rural nature. And again, uh, as Lisa pointed out, we newcomers are the ones actually bringing that to everybody's attention to try and preserve what we have here in the Heber Valley. Okay, and you guys have put together a slideshow, um, and we're going to uh, we're, we're going to share that and let you guys get into that. Um, so we'll kind of turn it over to you guys and let you guys uh, kind of go through and give us an update and, and share with us uh, where this is at, uh, so that we all know that it's it's not a done deal. And uh, these are really some great slides. You yeah. really show some of the impacts. Uh, uh, better than anywhere I've seen, and 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 I can't wait till we get to some of those slides to show people really what the impact is going to be uh, on this area. So we'll turn Excellent. it over to you guys. Thank you so much. So people may have heard of us. Um, we go by Save Wasatch Back Dark Skies. Uh, we're all very passionate about the outdoors. Uh, throughout the whole Wasatch Back area, the Heber Valley area. We're a group of concerned residents. Uh, we've been accused that we have a lot of outside state money coming in. Not the case at all. Uh, we are a group of volunteers and we're funded by local residents as well. Um, but we, we started off with Save Wasatch Back Dark Skies because that was the first thing kind of un under attack in the county. And, and we'll get more into that. So if you go to the next slide, Landon, we'll show you what we're talking about here. And here's the church's rendering of the temple. Uh, you can read all about it on the internet. Um, it's a beautiful building. It's just massive. It's gonna be the front uh, tower or spire, I'm not sure what everybody likes to call it, is 210 feet tall. The rear is about 141, and the main building is about 100 feet tall. And it's going to be mound up uh, because, if you look at the bottom picture, it sits right next to a flood zone. So we know that there's going to be a lot of water issues, and John's going to take us through some of those issues to help everybody understand. So we're going to talk in general about the temple, but then we're going to cover two main issues, the uh, water issues and the dark sky issues. But, you know, we have no doubts that whatever ends up being built and wherever it ends up being built, it's going to be beautiful and the grounds will be well landscaped and, and so forth. Obviously, we've seen other temples and we know it's, it's done quite well. But you have to consider this in kind of a mountain, rural, agricultural area surrounded by homes that are no more than 35 feet at most and uh, by farms yeah, with the mountains as a backdrop. So let's let's go to the next slide. I just want to mention, when you say this is massive, it's 80,000 square feet. Oh, that's yeah, thank you for that. that's 80, eight 80. times the size of Cody. Yeah. Uh, and this is a small valley, uh, basically a rural valley. So yeah, yeah, no, we were overwhelmed, 88. We were overwhelmed when we saw yeah. a schematic about the sheer size of it. We just assumed, oh, normal temple size. No, this is a this is a massive temple. Yeah, 88,000 square feet with a parking lot of 460 spaces. We understand it's essentially similar to Linden and Layton, uh, those temples that are being built there. Which so, have populations of like uh, 80,000 people as opposed to you guys have like 20,000 or 18, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
by what's being reported on the church website, I believe it will end up being the 18th largest temple out of the 300 or so that have been announced or built. This is uh, where it's proposed to go. Uh, this is uh, pictures from when it was an alfalfa field. Uh, and you can see uh, very clearly it's backdrop to the mountains, residential area all the way around it and or farmland. The picture on the bottom, the X marks the spot where it would be. Um, again, you can see pretty much everything is quite low uh, with the exception of the next tallest building would be 93 feet. And we're gonna show you a picture of that. It's the old tabernacle. The space also lines up, if you look at kind of in the middle of the bottom picture, with the airport, with Heber Airport. So there's FAA complications with the lighting as well. It's not just going to be uplit like most other temples. They have to have red lights, red flashing lights, and, and so on to meet the FAA requirements. So in yeah, I, picture, I picture Moroni with those little landing you know maybe in his <laughs> eye up on top of the temple if they just have those there but yeah that was a, i'm telling you our our visit to heber was revelatory because all these details were like what wait why in the path of you know the flight plan to land at the heber airport like right there <laughs> flying yeah. right overhead so which impacts like you said the lighting and and all of that it just seems like such a strange location to have chosen once you yeah. really dig in and find out all the other different things that are going on with it and yeah, lisa and you told us those trees surrounding that open area they're about 70 feet tall and this temple is going to be 210 feet tall so three times <laughs> the height of the trees uh is what the temple is going to be absolutely correct Absolutely correct. And what you're looking at is really uh, Wasatch County. And other than uh, cities like Midway and Heber, Wasatch County is primarily preservation land or rural residential and agriculture, right? So it's not a, a highly populated area or a highly lit up. There are no real tall structures. So this would be the tallest structure probably for, I don't know, I don't even know, miles and miles and miles and miles. So hopefully that gives everybody a perspective of what we're talking about and, and why we're concerned. Wanna do that, yeah, here we go. So this is the graphic that blew my mind right here. Yeah. Like Cody, <laughs> and actually we got this idea from Cody. Uh, we put together this graphic. So the proposed temple is on, uh, well, it's the right-hand side of my screen. And set within that temple is actually the Tucson Temple. The Tucson Temple is under 100 feet tall, um, and it has uh, much less lighting because Tucson, the city of Tucson, had very strict codes. So you see the side view and the front view with the tallest spire being at that 210. The building next to that is about 95, 93 feet tall. It's the old tabernacle, uh, which is in downtown Heber. And I'll show and that what, here. That's the that's what the tabernacle looks like. And it fits yeah. in really well. It's just right downtown. It was built in the 1800s, but uh, it's now been converted into the Heber City Hall. Uh, exactly. But that's the yeah, tallest we, building in town. It right? is. Yeah. And we stopped there first before we met with Lisa and John and both Landon and I were like, well, this is a beautiful building. Uh, why don't they just do like they've done in Vernal or in Provo, refurbish this, make this the temple. You know, it has a, a historic element to it and it's a beautiful building. And to us, it seemed plenty big. 
<laughs> and then we yeah. saw this graphic. <laughs> yeah. So you see the tabernacle there. And then um, the max height in the surrounding community is 35 feet. Yeah. So, uh, so, you, so that so house imagine... is 35 feet tall. That house on the left. Right. And for those that are listening, uh, there's a graphic with a house 35 feet tall. This is going to be 200. That That's the limit. That's the zoning limit is 35 feet, the roof height. And the temple is going to be 210 feet tall with the spires. But even the roof on the temple is going to be over 100 feet tall. So unlike at Cody, where they're arguing, well, it's it's just the steeple that's above the, the roof uh, height and that that doesn't count. If you take the steeples off, this is still three times taller than what the zoning for that area allows. Correct. Absolutely. So imagine our surprise at roughly, say, six times higher than any house that surrounds the property. Yeah. That's that's huge. And, you know, we invite people to come on out to Heber and Wasatch and see it for yourself. Seeing is believing. And uh, you'll understand what we're up against. Hey, Landon, it's John. I'd like to put some perspective on that slide for a minute. Oh, okay. I'll go back so, to that. So the way I think about it is the Tucson Temple uh, in the picture here serves a million people. And yet we're getting a temple that's going to serve 35,000 Wasatch County residents, give or take. And it's, it's enormous. So again, the size perspective relative to the population is an eye-opener for me. The other big eye-opener is the proposed temple is bigger than the White House. The White House, it serves 330 million people in the US is our you know, proverbial White House, and it's only 70 feet tall. So again, it's just the size is out of proportion, out of character relative to other uh, prominent buildings in, in other parts of the country. And, and you can literally put the Tucson Temple inside of right for our listeners. That's temple. what this graphic shows that the Tucson Temple fits very nicely and conveniently inside. As once I sort of saw the location and understood the size they were talking about, I realized I think it may be one of those destination temples. Don't you think, Landon? There are certain temples that are built, you know, just in a gorgeous location. It's more of a destination temple. You go there as a special trip. Maybe a wedding is held there, but it's definitely maybe more for show than for function. Did you get that sense, Landon? Yeah, absolutely. There there was no way that the population there would need a temple this size. Yeah. Oh, no. They're, they're building. Yeah. Uh, I, I live right by Layton, which this is a similar size. And, you know, the, the Wasatch front is... 10 times the population of the Wasatch back. And, uh, yeah. you know, this is, this is just uh, enormous for the population area there. Uh, so I think it has something to do with that. Uh, so many of the general authorities have uh, yeah. mountain lodges there and stuff, and yeah. they want to be able to go there when they're not in Salt Lake. And this is literally though, what a, an hour drive from Salt Lake. Yeah, less less than that, forty five minutes. And there I think many temples. I, I think we're we have six, seven temples within an hour's drive, or less. So yeah, it's it's not like we're don't have access to temples. And, and you told you told us something that was really surprising. Um, Evanston, you said was supposed to go to this temple, Evanston, Wyoming, uh, which is about an hour drive east. Uh, it, I don't understand why they wouldn't put a temple in Evanston when you have six temples within an hour 
uh, yet they're they're going to put this enormous thing up in the mountains there uh, where where yeah. it really doesn't fit in, I guess. Exactly. So, okay, I'll take you to right. the next one there. All right, let's give you a little bit of a timeline. It's We're coming on a, almost a year, and we're not under construction. Let's just be real clear. And it's not a done deal. So, um, as Rebecca said, the church made the announcement about the temple location last September. Uh, they held a groundbreaking in October very quickly. And then it was kind of quiet for a while. We found out that the church, the first thing that they filed for was a change to the outdoor lighting ordinance. Now, we had a meeting as residents, um, just uh, maybe 50 or 60 of us with a few representatives of the temple department in which they ensured us they would follow the rules. But at the end of that meeting, at the end of three hours or so, they were basically saying, we really don't care what the residents think. We're going to do what the county requires us to do. So the first thing they do is make an amendment to change the lighting ordinance. Uh, very important, and I'm going to cover it in a little more detail here. And do so we want to mention, as I understand it, that the land that this temple is built on is county land, not city land. That and correct. that makes a huge difference because Landon and I were thinking about this. They actually purchased this lot, which is very unusual. Usually somebody donates. So I almost feel, and maybe it's too simplistic, that they only wanted to deal with the county. Easier you know, to control and to change. It's a piece of county land sitting within city land. And so all they have to do is go to the county and try to make these changes. Do you think that's... That's maybe what's happening there? Yeah, we've absolutely thought about that for sure. So it is county land surrounded basically by city land on three sides. Um, they did buy it. Um, and, and it could very well be. We believe our counts, county council is primarily LDS members. We haven't verified that, but um, it, it seems to be the case. Uh, so it's very likely that that may have been part of, of what they were trying to do, because I believe the land up on UVU might have been city land. John, do you know? It, it is. It's known to city land. That's why we all thought it was going to be on, along the UVU campus. Mm -hmm. So they filed to change the lighting ordinance back in November. Now, we didn't know that. It didn't come out really publicly until the nearing the near the end of January. Uh, but in the meantime, they had filed for their ordinance. The county hired a consultant, and they were working on uh, what to do with that. Once we found out, we quickly formed residents for save, Saving Wasatch Back Dark Skies in the beginning of February. Um, we've filed two of our own amendments, just to give everybody some background, in March. Uh, and, we didn't, and we didn't publicize this because it was just... Um, just filed, we filed to change, make some changes to the conditional use uh, process. Most importantly, it was what we call a PID or public impact discussion. So when you're talking about large structures or tall structures, our changes would require the applicant to come to the community and hold public events where we can ask any questions and get all of our answers uh, to those questions. And that would be a requirement before they would go in for a conditional use process and approval, because that never happened here. Uh, it's still not fully public what is being proposed and how it's being worked through. 
We have put some grandma requests in to get as much as we can along the way. But we really feel for big projects in a community like this, and this is something that's done in other states, they need to come and talk to the community and answer our questions. The church did hold a, a town um, hall meeting, I guess, um, in, in one of the local wards. They still couldn't answer a lot of questions. It was basically, here's some beautiful pictures. Isn't this wonderful? And we were asking all kinds, kinds of questions, which they just didn't have the answers for. They couldn't answer. We also filed our own amendment to the outdoor lighting ordinance uh, in April. Now, we were having a few county meetings just before that with the planning commission. And we were told, if you want a seat at the table, put in your own amendment. So we hurry up and we became uh, dark skies experts and we put in our own amendment. Um, but unfortunately it didn't slow the process down and it didn't have an impact on ultimately what the county approved. So the county staff planning department put together their version of a lighting ordinance, which is essentially in our opinion, in agreement with what the uh, church asked for and that was approved by the county council in April 19th. So from the beginning of the public discussion through a planning commission meeting to the, the time that they approved it, that was about a 20 day process. So in 20 days, they approved uplighting after having 20 years of no uplighting. And this is not an exception for the church. This is for the entire county. The entire county now allows uplighting. That was the most shocking thing that we heard, that no uplighting anywhere prior to this at all. They yeah. go in, they want uplighting for the temple. They again petition. They only have to deal with the county, not the city and all the different committees they might have to deal with. And the county doesn't just say, sure, you can uplight temple. They say anyone can. So a giant hotel could start building tomorrow that could just light everything up to the sky. Or as John said, somebody on their barn could just, you know, jack it to Jesus and light it everywhere. When in the past, that did not happen. Like it was a beautiful, pristine, dark sky area. And now anywhere in the Wasatch County, anybody can have any kind of uplighting. Light it up. That's, so, light um, it up. Light it up. We feel it does <laughs> put, so the Jordan L. Uh, State Park is a certified park, uh, certified dark skies park. Um, Wasatch Mountain Park was working on becoming a dark skies park. And there's a few other parks around us. So in our mind, our county should be driving the whole Wasatch back area to create an alliance, to create this as a dark sky certified area, to preserve it before it's too late. I'm afraid we're going to end up with Salt Lake City too, because we're just allowing a lot of lighting, a lot of new development that is not really being, in our opinion, appropriately planned for what we think should be a mountain kind of resortish town and preserve the culture and the nature here. I, apparently not everybody shares that perspective. We, we did talk to, a, we talked to an attorney that we know uh, who's a city attorney uh, and he mentioned that the reason that they probably made this open to the whole county is because if they'd have had just given that option to the church, that could almost be illegal because they're now, it looks like they're favoring the church. Mm -hmm. So they open it up to everybody so the church can do it. And they basically ruin the, the, the dark skies for everybody uh, because of it. And, and, and 
you know, you 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 want to think why would they do this? Uh, I don't think it takes a lot of creativity to think that this was changed because it was the LDS church. Nobody else would have been allowed to do this. Walmart wouldn't have, they wouldn't have done it for Walmart. They wouldn't have done it for anyone else, but the LDS church. And so it's uh, uh, one of the things we're trying to, to show is, is that the church continuously goes into these communities that are dark sky and they, they have no, nothing to conserve with this they, they they have no conservation mind they've got to light that temple up as bright as they can and what we'll show some examples of that but it just doesn't make any sense of why they want to just destroy that night sky which as we've said for many people that's how they connect to the deity is through those stars exactly. in the skies at night and this is going to take that away from so many other people Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, what they've also done is if they don't, if they don't put appropriate bounds on what goes into the temple development agreement, and we're going to talk about that, they won't be able to block any developer from doing anything because they're setting the precedent of we'll give you whatever you want, even though it's outside of our normal ordinances, like the 35 foot height, mm -hmm. as an example. So I, I think they're walking into a can of worms. Um, maybe they have a different opinion of how they're going to control that. I don't know, but that's one of our one of our issues, and we're going to talk more deeply about that in in the coming days and months and weeks that we work on this. Yeah. So it's an example of the church coming in to get what they want, which is the temple. They're willing and able to change everything forever for everyone and not really go through the due process that they perhaps should. And I think we see that over and over and which is why we do podcasts like this. So, yeah. So then the next thing that the church did uh, was file for a condition use, conditional use application. Mm -hmm. uh, that was in May. Uh, just to let everybody know on May 19th, we also filed a petition in the district court regarding the lighting ordinance that the County adopted. And it's more of a, a process based a petition, meaning that we don't feel it was handled appropriately, it wasn't properly um, discussed or debated, right? It was kind of 20 days, 20 days of public view and boom, it was done. So we do have that, that is an ongoing uh, legal initiative that we have. And then in early June, June 6th and 21st, uh, during county council meetings, there is now, there were discussions on a proposed legislative development agreement. So this would be outside of the conditional use process, which would be the county's normal process. And this would be a, a legislative development agreement, an LDA in which, in which the county council is gonna make all of the decisions that would be appropriate and govern this development. So to us, that feels like it's going around, again, going around the normal process for how you get a conditional use permit. Uh, again, this is zoned RA1, residential agriculture, one acre lots with a max height of 35 feet. So they would have to get an exception to that. And we believe their exception would be based on this being a church. Our opinion is the temple is not a church. It's a public, uh, I'm sorry, it's a private club because it's not open for everybody. Right. You have to have a tech. You can say that again. <laughs> yeah. So 
Um, so there's some issues in, with that process. We, we uh, And then in July, we presented our two amendments that I talked about previously to the Planning Commission. And um, also in, uh, well, we'll talk about that. Let's go to the next slide. <laughs> it's a lot of detail. There's been there's a, a lot, lot going, lot going on. on. <laughs> And, yeah, and you so, guys are very organized and mobilized and we yeah, were very no impressed. Shovel with in we the ground, no construction. Yeah. Nope. It still looks exactly like that picture you yep. showed with the open area. That's still what it looks like. Well, except for they let the alfalfa field die. Right, it's no yeah. longer a beautiful green field. <laughs> it's now a brown patch. So if you do decide to go and check it out for yourself, it's pretty easy to see. I mean, you can see that yeah. that one brown area right there, right in the middle. So. Yeah. So, um, so a couple of things um, on September 5th, which is at the bottom here, the Heber City Council is meeting to review an MOU, which is between them and the county and the church. This has to do with a number of items related to the temple. It is traffic, um, a roundabout, uh, there's issues around lighting. So this was reviewed, I believe, in the beginning of uh, uh, beginning of August. And we did have a few council people stand up and say, wait a minute, we're hearing a lot from the community. They don't feel like they're being heard. They're concerned about dark skies. Why are we not trying to tie this MOU to the Heber City Lighting Ordinance, which, by the way, doesn't allow uplighting? as an example. So thankfully we did have a few council people step up and bring that to light. It'll be interesting to see what they discuss next week. We will be there. We will be there with questions on the road, on the water issue that John's gonna cover on dark skies and so on. So that's next week. On uh, September 14th, we go back to the planning commission for their decision on what to do with our two amendments that I overviewed. And then right after that, we would go to the county council to present. We're also going to make a Dark Skies Initiative presentation to Heber City uh, Council. We would like the whole valley to come together and protect Dark Skies. So we're trying to help create that al alliance. Now, and I remember back in uh, 2022, weren't there some meetings where there were citizen input? Because I remember somebody got a hold of a letter that was sent out from a stake, you know, that said, okay, everybody go to these meetings, show your support, you know, which is kind of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed yeah. to do whatever you need to do to make sure that the temple is going to be built. So I, I thought that was interesting that they literally told people, go do it. You know what to do. Yeah, that was in March and April of this year. Those were the public hearings. In uh, the Planning Commission meeting, we were allowed three minutes each. And in the County Council meeting, we were allowed two minutes each. Um, we had well-scripted speakers on our behalf, making sure we covered every issue. Um, oddly enough, our grandma request for information regarding the consultant's recommendations didn't come until after those public hearings were held. And uh, from the data we've seen in the information via the grandma request, the county council, the county in general, pretty much didn't adopt any of his recommendations. So that's a sore point and something that is included in our petition to the district court as well. So a, a lot going well, they on. They adopted uh, all of the church's recommendations and none of the consult yeah. night sky consultants' recommendations. Very similar. Let's put it that way. Yeah. 
That yeah. is interesting. The other thing that I thought was interesting that I learned, and correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here, that instead of going with just Curtin McConkie, their big team of lawyers, like in other places, they've actually re- hired some very specialized real estate attorneys representation there. So I think they realized they might have a fight on their hands with what your group has put together. That's what it says to me. They've had to bring in some more bigger guns than Curtin McConkie. Yeah, it could be. I'm not familiar with who they used prior, but uh, right. our understanding is that that the law firm is obviously well versed in land uh, type litigation and and issues. So we haven't seen the legislative development agreement since back in uh, June. Um, we believe it will be on the planning commission agenda probably late September, maybe October. And from there, it would go to the county council. Um, or they could say, we don't want to do a legislative development agreement and send it back to the conditional use process, I guess. So that, that's going to be our next se- next month, September and October. We'll be working on that very hard. And depending on what happens there, we'll decide whether we're going to file a petition against a legislative development agreement and or maybe begin a referendum process and put it to a vote. We are only 50-50, so it would mean we'd have to do a lot of work to get the voters out, but we are prepared to do that if we need to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we'll see what happens. So we've got a lot coming up and a lot of work to do. So John, you wanna cover the water issue a little bit? This is a hot topic and something we feel is really important for everybody to know. Yeah, I just have to say it's so interesting. There are so many issues with this site. Like literally, they almost could not have picked a worse site, which I I still feel there's got to be some ulterior motive for that site because we've got skies, we've got zoning, we've got lighting, we've got water, big water issues. So this is just incredible to me. Yeah, so the first issue with the site, it's actually on a a FEMA floodplain. So um, again, the most Western end of that property is in a floodplain. So they have to uh, go through the, permit process with FEMA to figure out what they can or can't do on the the property. It's also got an aquifer on the property that runs underneath it that supplies Heber City water. There's three wells surrounding the property that Heber City residents get most of their water from. So that's a whole nother issue that they're running into. Uh, It's also mapped on a floodway, which also means they need to get potential state and federal permits. As of today, they've reached out to the Army Corps of Engineers to get a permit to do some of the things they need to do relative to grading and to uh, flood control issues. The state at this point has not issued any permits, but they are in conversations with the state on how they're gonna mitigate water off the property. One of the things they need to do for the FEMA is do a, a base flood elevation exam or permitting process. So that's another issue that comes up. They also need to show, is the building going to be properly elevated or anchored to the foundation, if you will, to make sure the building doesn't flood away. So there's a lot of different issues they need to deal with, with both federal and state governments, as well as the county floodplain. At this point, they're still in conversation, but nothing's been done. You, you, you said, John, when we were up there, they were going to have to pump 90 million gallons of, of water. That appears correct. So they've done a dewatering study through one of the engineering firms they've hired, and they're going to put in 20 pumps around the property to take water off the lot. 
if you read that engineering study, they need to dig down roughly 42 feet to build the basement or foundation for the size of the temple. The problem is 10 feet down, they hit water. So roughly you know, 30, 32 feet of water has to disappear from that foundation and be pumped off site, which is problem number one. It's, it's a class one aquifer, which is where we get our drinking water from. And based on the analysis, it's 90 million gallons of water that has to be pumped off to put the foundation in. Is that a year, a month? What? That's over the course of the year based on the estimates in, in the engineering study. Okay. So if you look at the low end, because again, it, it is an estimate, it's 65 million gallons. If you look at the high end, it could be as much as um, 125 million gallons. But again, the estimate in the report says about 90 million gallons needs to be pumped off. Simply to put and the is this continuing? Will they have to continue to pump every year? Keep the pumps running if the temple's built there. They'll have to continue to siphon the water off. Correct. And that's because it's in a, wa a water aquifer where all the water runs through the valley. So again, it's coming from the Jordanelle, if you will, underneath the ground, all the way out to Deer Creek Reservoir, running through the valley. Again, it is our drinking water supply for Heber City, and that's going to continue. So they continually have to pump the water off the lot to uh, keep the water at bay, if you will. So the expense of that, again, Landon, think about this. You know, Already the things are just adding up as far as the special things they're going to have to do to put this temple in this exact location. But you'll yeah, end up with holy water at the end. So <laughs> it is holy water. There you go. That's it. Yeah, I would say the special things are uh, the water rights or water shares to even, even obtain those. That's a cost. Obviously, right. where are you going to put the water, which creates the FEMA floodplain issue in the Army Corps of Engineers? You're putting it somewhere. And where they're putting it, at least based on the reports I've seen, is back into the floodway. Well, the floodway is going to hurt the residents behind them, which is Triple Crown is the main residence behind the temple property. Um, how do you address or mitigate that? Again, these are all the issues that have to come up with the permitting process. Where's the water gonna go? How does it affect the homeowners behind them? Um, and of course the pumping electricity, 20 pumps, what's that cost for electricity to continually pump the water out? Yeah, good, good point there. Uh, just again, why this site? If any of our viewers know or have any kind of insider info, we are all so curious. <laughs> so uh, the next slide here is the elevation certificate. What's interesting here is the owner of the property and or the county can fill out this form uh, and it all relates back to flood insurance. So again, it's certifying is this elevation of this uh, floodplain put on a piece of paper? Is this building again, properly verified that it's going to be uh, okay on this property and how is it going to affect the homeowners in the area as it relates to flood insurance? Because again, if it's not put in properly or it's not vetted at all, uh, floodplain insurance might be denied for homeowners in the area or it might increase the cost of flood insurance. And again, these are some of the issues that even haven't come up in the public press. People don't even know it affects them at this point because they just don't know what they don't know. So other people living around the temple may have to pay more for insurance uh, or get flood plane insurance mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they build the temple there. Uh, absolutely. Um, if you look at the FEMA guidelines, they prefer a piece of property like this stay exactly the way it is. Agriculture property because there's no potential building loss from flooding. So if you think about a lot of homes in Florida, they're built you know, 25 feet off the ground. Why? Because they have flooding all the time. 
And that's what FEMA requires for their building has to be 25 feet off, off the, the ground. In this case, they're digging underneath the ground. They're doing the opposite. And this spring, that, that parcel was kind of underwater for a bit there with all the melt. Wow. I actually have a video in April of water coming off the property from one of the wells they put in the ground, and it's flooding Center Street. And I actually sent it to the county to say, hey, what's going on? And I fell on deaf ears. Wow. Interesting. And then here's the big one for the state is the no rise test, which will be forthcoming probably in the next two months. So basically what the engineers need to do is put in uh, underground pipes down where the water level is from one end of the lot to the other to see if there's a rise in the water table or water level out the end of the pipe. So they need to do it in the very back of the lot where the actual floodplain is. They also need to do it where the, the current wells are. There's three wells currently drilled that they're doing testing on. They have to put those pipes in there as well to see how the water floods off the property. Ultimately, if, if there is a rise in the water table, technically speaking, they can't build on the property. And that's the whole point of this test from a FEMA perspective. So they could, they could get denied if they don't pass this test. That's my understanding, talking to the people uh, in the, the government offices. And that's the purpose of this test. Because again, if the building or the plumbing or the water that's on the property is going somewhere else and creating a rise in the water table and affecting somebody else, that's a problem. Hmm. Okay, great. All right. Hey, we're going to talk about dark skies, and, and I'll try to go through these quite qu quickly. But, John, did you want to make any comments on the traffic, maybe? Yeah. So um, what's interesting is a traffic study was conducted roughly nine months before they actually purchased the property. And the third-party data collector only collected roughly six hours of data when they're supposed to collect 24 hours of data. So right off the bat, it seemed like a severely flawed uh, report because they didn't collect enough data to, to summarize or come out with correct studies. The other thing that was interesting is they got a proverbial rubber stamp on the report. I called the engineer to question the lack of data in the report. And he told me flat out, I just rubber stamped it. I didn't work on the report. I've never been to the property site. Here's the person you need to talk to. I actually talked to that person for 35 minutes on the phone and they were very candid. Unfortunately, we didn't get any data points from the church or the LDS leadership team. So we had to make up our own data on a lot of bullet points, which to me is a huge red flag. As far as the data collection, we didn't hire the company. The church did. So again, we had to use the data and use a UDOT format to simply compile the report we were asked to put together with the data that was collected by that third party. So there's a lot of flaws with the data. There's a lot of flaws with the study. One of the biggest is safety relative to the park. There's a park right across the street from the temple site. And this, the people who put the study together had no idea there was a park there. They also didn't know there's 460 parking spots on the temple site. They were actually told the temple site's gonna hold 50 people with four rooms. That doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me at 88,000 square feet yeah. with 460 parking spots. But again, the people putting the, the report together had no input or no knowledge about this. And again, it makes sense to me because the process started in January, 2022, nine months before the temple even bought the property. 
So again, a lot of red flags, but that's just a little backdrop on the uh, study of traffic. It's a 40 mile an hour speed limit in front of the temple site, which is the fastest or highest speed limit in city limits anywhere in Hebrew city. And nowhere was the speed addressed in the report. Again, crosswalks for children in the park across the street. Uh, traffic lights were actually mentioned in the study that they need one at the local intersection. But again, nobody in the county or city governments coming to that realization that, hey, wait a minute, they're recommending this traffic light. They're not bringing it up. Um, and it, it might go to something you said earlier, Rebecca. It's all about who the applicant is. Mm hmm versus sure. perhaps serving the residents to their best ability. You know, I can only guess to maybe why or what, but um, it doesn't look good and it doesn't make us feel good, I'll tell you that. So the next few slides are on dark skies. We made a big presentation to the county, as I said, back in July. So I just wanted to highlight a few of these. We won't go into great detail. I know we're coming up here on, on quite a long podcast, but. It's very important for everybody to understand the Wasatch County general plan dictates uh, preserving night skies or dark skies. This is a snapshot. Um, Doug Smith, the county planner, actually showed this slide. So we reiterated it when we presented to the county. And it's all about dark sky compliant lighting, uh, reducing light uh, pollution, and protecting the health, safety, and general welfare of its residents. Let me go to the next slide. So, so the, the, the county says right here in their policy, preserve the night sky at any cost. And then except for a temple, of course, if a temple comes <laughs> in, it's everything's out the door. All bets are off. That's All right. Bets well, are off. Right. They changed the ordinance for the entire county. It's not yes. an exception for the temple. So how they justify what they've done to what the general plan says is required is a question. Uh, you might, everybody might know that Utah really pushes dark skies everywhere. We have a dark sky month. We had a statement made by Governor Cox. We have a very large number of dark sky certified areas. We have a new license plate coming out all about dark skies. So in our presentation, we go through all of those initiatives, whether it's state or local. Um, but I thought the license plate was quite interesting is how can you do all of this and yet not understand what you just did when you changed your your lighting ordinance for the uh, county? That's a beautiful license plate. I may get them on my cars next. Sign me up. I'm going to do that yeah, too. I'm so are, are, are any entities outside? I mean, I would assume that Heber Valley is known everywhere for, you know, it's gorgeous dark skies. Are there entities outside of Utah that are going, Hey, wait, what are they doing there? Is there, are there, is there any recourse in that way? Oh, More public trying. awareness. Yeah, we're trying. We have, uh, we've done a podcast with restoringdarkness.com. They talk about preservation and, um, you know, how you how you revert as well. If you can't do it up front, if it's already been done, how do you restore it? Um, they're also part of the, um, oh, I just lost it, but they have a foundation, Darkness and Light Foundation as well. We couldn't really get the International Dark Skies Association of Utah to engage with us. Yeah. 
that was a problem. We tried quite, you know, quite hard on that. We do know that the lighting community and the dark sky community has been watching everything that's going on here. And they're kind of dumbfounded by, by what's being done. Uh, we know that there's an awful lot of dark sky enthusiasts or astrotourism uh, type entities that do a lot around in this area, right? Utah is big for this. Yeah, uh, no, and I, Landon and I talked to a, a friend who's a dark sky uh, involved in that and um, basically sort of alluded to it's political and in order to protect some of what they do, they can't get involved ground level on some of this highly political. And I would think maybe, you know, engaging the church and stuff like that, especially here in Utah. So there are definite political things at play here that stop people who want to be involved from getting involved. So if you're Absolutely. a person that can be involved, please, you know, let's support this. Dark skies are so important. I have a soapbox about that myself. Yeah, excellent. And and this slide, for example, comes from the International Dark Sky Association. Uh, I would invite everybody to go out and start doing some research for their own edification around the importance of dark sky and how bad artificial life uh, light is for the wildlife, for us personally. Uh, you know, I think it's something like only 10% of the nation can see the night skies in the galaxy anymore and so forth. So it, it's very interesting. We're becoming experts in it uh, quite quickly. We had to, but there are many, many reasons why everybody should advocate for, for changing the way we do things. You wanna go to the next slide? Um, and this is another one of their slides. It talks about all lighting should be useful, should be targeted, it should be low lit, it should be controlled, and the color is very important. Warmer colors, for example, are much more conducive to wildlife and to human beings. I don't know if everybody knows, but in the state of Utah, we are in the pathway for 400 different um, uh, migrating birds and lighting causes them dramatic uh, harm and danger. Uh, when they lit up the World Trade Center uh, uh, monument, as an example, they were killing something like, I think they killed 1.2 million birds in a year. So they've created a system that monitors the bird interaction and if they're in the, the path of light and how many of them are so they can turn those lights off when they need to because it, the light is like attracting and it captures the birds and then they die there. So they're, they're doing things like that even, but here we are, we're gonna light it up uh, in an area where we have migrating birds, migrating animals, deer, moose, uh, uh, elk, all kinds of hares, all kinds of animals here. And we're gonna put it right in the middle of a rural residential area, agricultural area. Just to give you some more information, I'm just trying to give everybody enough to go out and do the study for yourself. There's a lot that can be done with lighting. Uh, not just timers, but making sure it shines directly down so you don't have light leakage up uh, and so forth. So that's what this pet picture is trying to show. Again, a lot of this comes from uh, dark sky uh, associations. Um, it's just, it can be done and it has been done. Why we need uplighting here after 20 years, I'm not sure. Uh, next slide. 
or even why temples need uplighting. Yeah. I, it's just someone needs to rethink the whole thing. It does not, there is no, uh, is there a doctrinal reason, Landon, that you're aware of that we must uh, have the lighting <laughs> shining? No, there's absolutely on? no doctrinal requirement, but it certainly has seemed to become one of those things that, uh, you know, I think, I think they want to think that uh, God lit the tabernacle at night as it traveled, yeah. and therefore they've got to light the temple at night, uh, that that somehow bestows that God is overseeing it. But yeah. of course, with the tabernacle, it was not artificial light. So, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. And here's a general summary of what we have proposed, which essentially lines up with the dark sky consultant that was hired by the county versus what the county adopted. And just, you know, in general terms, our recommendation is for a little warmer light. That's the 2,700 Kelvin versus 3,000 Kelvin um, to remove an exemption for residential. So there's no requirements on residential here where we put forward the use of lighting zones. So uh, this is something that's commonly adopted. So for example, in our county preservation land, state parks, national parks, should be like a lighting zone one, very little ambient light at night. Uh, a lighting zone, I'm sorry, lighting zone zero. Lighting zone one would represent rural residential or agricultural land. Again, keep it down to a low ambient light. And then you start getting into cities at lighting zone two, that might be something like Heber. And lighting zone four might be something like Las Vegas to give you an example. So it's a means of matching your light control with your zoning. And it's not that hard to do. And it's something we re really recommend. Um, candelas per square meter, the county adopted 27. We're at half of that rate in our recommendation, less than half of that rate. Um, and it makes a big, big difference. Let's just move on to the next couple it, of it, just, just a quick question. Is that Candela 27? Is that what the temple's going for is 27? Is, the is temple asks allowed. for eight lumens, which is essentially 27 candelas per square meter. So they made it's, it exactly what the temple needed to <laughs> what be the county to. allowed. Yeah, that's, yeah that kind of. Suspicious. It's a little different of a measurement, but it, they're very uh, equatable. Okay. Okay. So this is just an example of lighting zone. I, we took these pictures. This is at the lot where it's where the temple is being proposed. You can see how dark it is. And that's mm -hmm. why we're saying lighting zones are, are really important. Everybody here likes to say, oh, go look at, you know, this auto dealer or this store. Those are in the city. We are mm -hmm. in the county in a rural mm -hmm. residential area. That's our night sky. Right. Completely different. You want to zoom to the next slide? This will give you an idea that we have a lighting engineer on our team. It was his career for 40 years. You cannot control lighting on a surface. So depending on the reflectivity of the surface and the type of lights you use, everybody's under the impression that you can control up lighting. So he did a rendering here to show how much light can escape above the temple in this case, this is a rendering of the temple. And there will be light that escapes. It is not possible to capture it all on the surface. 
Okay. So for those that are listening, uh, you, you've got a picture of the temple with, it's kind of uh, almost like an infrared with different colors of mm -hmm. the intensity. But in the sky above, you actually have a floating level of light that's up above the temple that escapes from the building and is reflected or is basically directed directly to the sky. Yeah, exactly. You want to jump to the next one? Yeah. This is an example of the candelas uh, per square meter. So he rendered lighting again. Now it depends on the reflectivity of the surface. And we are under the impression that the temple would be an off-white granite. So it's going to be reflective. Mm -hmm. But this goes from an example of, say, 5 to 10 in the middle, which is our recommendation, to actually 23. And they're at 27. So you can see the, the brightness difference. And that's that's what that picture is trying to show. So it, we're talking about a great deal of difference between what we're proposing and what was adopted. And, and now what you're proposing again is in line with what the uh, dark sky uh, consultant mm -hmm. recommended. Yeah. And now imagine it's not just for the temple; <clears throat> it's for the entire county, the entire county. Yeah. That's the part that's a tragedy to me, that to accommodate the temple, they have changed everything. And who knows what can happen? The door is open. Right. So this was just there. This is Red Cliffs. Look at all of the light on that site. This, We're this, talking about, you saw the pictures from where we reside, how dark they mm -hmm. are. And then if you go to the next one. I, I just want to point out, because when I was looking at these pictures, this is my two favorite pictures of this entire thing. Look, look at that top view up in the right hand corner is a top view. Look yeah. how lit that roof is. And so yep. people that are living up on the hill up above this site, looking down on it, this is what they are going to see. Uh, and then compare this to the next slide if you use the down lighting. Yeah, this look is that's a difference. This is for the left. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see the building itself is still quite bright. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's downlit. So it's not escaping up. Right. It's still beautiful. The building yeah. is beautiful. Nobody is arguing with that at all. And it still looks like a special building. And but the lighting downlit soft, it's not polluting the dark skies like the other. Yeah. And it's just proof that the, the church can do whatever it wants. Mm -hmm. Right. Small temple all the way up to very large temple. They can change the facades to fit in with the community. They can change the lighting to be appropriate for where they're at and, and fit ordinances. There's no reason that they have to go after and change all of this for our rural community. Uh, when they have examples that do pretty, if they, had, if they had suggested the Fort Collins Temple, we probably wouldn't have said a word, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, yeah, and that's why I yeah, keep flipping back and forth between these so you can just see the difference. It's just, yeah. it, it's night and day. <laughs> it, Not to use a pun, but <laughs> that's really what exactly. it is. Exactly. And like you said, there are commercial zones. There are places already zoned where this would fit in. It would be just fine down in more of right. a commercial. Like you said, the UVU campus there, and we looked at that from the view. We've been over there before. That's a beautiful site. That would be a wonderful yeah. site and also down more by, by the population. So yeah. again, I have no, you know, again, the fact that they purchased this land, it was not donated, that's unusual, and that it's county land. I feel like there's something else going on. <laughs> yeah, we are all for a temple in the valley, no issue with yes. it whatsoever. Yep. Let's pick the right location and let's pick the right building design. Yep, that's exactly right.
Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, yeah, we certainly appreciate this. Uh, we, uh, we put our architect to, to work um, to come up with some ideas for some temples that would be maybe more appropriate for this location other than an 88,000 square foot uh, temple. White and, granite, yeah. Yeah, of course, that, our, our, our architect is Rebecca and her AI <laughs> skills. And uh, I just say, draw me a temple that would fit in Hebrew, Utah. And these are some <laughs> of the- But look how cute these are. <laughs> yeah. These are just so cute. Yeah, anyone who's it. been to Heber knows Swiss Days is up in that yeah. area, with Midway and whatnot. Uh, there's a very much a Swiss architecture up there. And so, yep. uh, and yeah. for our listeners, we just have a series of six, you know, just designed by AI, where sort of a Swiss chalet kind of a look, you know, just very cute, fits right in, very homey, you know, a beautiful building. So it, it could be possible. And then we have a favorite one, don't we, Landon, of all we the ones that we came up with? One. Oh, there it is. That's, that's our, our proposal, all with down lighting yeah. on it. Uh, yeah. I wanted to glock and spill and yeah. have them come out. And, <laughs> <laughs> and go, look, have the prophets to march around and go around. That, that is a really cute idea, actually, Landon. I like that. So, yeah, there are ways to do it. I think, like you said, where the community would say, this is amazing. Please please do this, you know, and instead of we're seeing in different locations, people are like, ah, we want a temple here. We're, we're supportive, but let's try to make it fit in. Let's try to follow the laws of the land. I say that all the time, follow the laws of the land. Yeah. And it seems to me there, the church is building a number of uh, temples that are in that 35,000 square foot range, mm -hmm. something less than a hundred feet. Um yeah. I, I will say this at one of the city council meetings, the church uh, lawyers said, you know, we go through this process and, and have a way of calculating what, what the temple need is for an area. And I, it, to me, it sounded a little threatening, but it was like, you know, we could put a much larger one here if we wanted to. That's what and, they said. Yeah. <laughs> and we really didn't appreciate that. We no. did not appreciate that. Well, that does sound very threatening because of the size they're putting there already, the population does not support it. I mean, when we were driving up to meet with both of you, Landon and I were looking at the population of Heber Valley. We were looking up uh, Midway and what else we were looking up, Landon? I can't remember. Oh, uh, Park, Park City. City. Yeah, all together. Well. It was literally barely over 30,000. And that's just residents. Then you take maybe what, half? I think you said 50-50 for membership of the LDS Church. And then again, you maybe take a fourth of that that could actually even enter the temple. And and it's a very low population that this is being built for. So I, I think they need to work more closely with communities community relations, because as we're seeing, especially in Cody, uh, those relationships can be ruined for life, yeah. I think some of the people we've well, talked and, to, you know, and we just saw the temple. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, the one in Thailand, Bangkok, Thailand. Oh my goodness! That thing's two hundred and fifty feet tall, yeah. uh, lit up like a spaceship or something. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, we talked to a, a guy just the other day, and uh, he told us that uh, although the church reports twenty three thousand members in Thailand, he said active members there's really only about twenty five hundred in the entire country, and they've built Correct. this massive temple for for that many people. And he said a quarter of that are are expatriates that live over there and and just are there temporarily. So. Uh, yeah, we're seeing these massive buildings uh, being built that change the skyline of these communities. And yet, uh, 
it, it doesn't seem that the population is there to support it. Yeah, and we haven't even gotten into ridge line and view shed issues yet mm -mm. Um, and how that's being viewed. I, I think from our perspective, the message is this. One, this has nothing to do with the religion and the faith. This has everything to do with preserving the rural culture of the Wasatch Back area. There's far too much development going on as is, and just opening up everything via these changes in ordinances just not the right thing to do. We'd be happy to sit down with the county, the city, the church, whatever it takes to make us all happier. Yep, I think that's the bottom line. So tell all of our viewers, tell everyone, what can we do? What? How can we help you? Yeah, one, if you're in the area and you're seeing this, or even if you're not and you come over here and you enjoy this as a vacation and, and weekend, write to the county right to Heber City, right to the church. If you're a church member, uh, we've tried uh, to get involved with church members. We do have some that support us uh, more vocally, and we, we know there are a lot that won't say anything, but that they agree with us. Um, so write, write, write. Let them know your opinion. Let them know what you've seen and how it makes you feel. Uh, engage with us on social media. If you're on Facebook and Instagram, uh, we can be emailed as well here on the screen, say wasatchbackdarkskies at gmail.com. And if you can contribute, we would love that. Uh, we do have uh, attorneys engaged working with us um, to help slow this down and eventually change it. And you can Venmo us directly or just reach out to us and we'll be happy to talk to you. And we'd give any community a Dark Skies presentation if they're interested. I love that. Yeah. We also and have t-shirts for sale, oh, right? T-shirts. Yeah, we do. We have t-shirts for sale. I think so. If you get to Facebook or Instagram, you'll see them. I can stand up here. Say, well, oh, look, there it is. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. No, and that's so, great. So yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like wearing your colors. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's worth it. Yeah. So it looks like Facebook and Instagram, especially for our listeners who can't see, um, just go to Save Wasatch Dark Skies on either of those or Heber Valley Temple Info and also Heber Valley Temple Info discussion page where I, I was over there the other day and it looks like people are definitely chiming in. So, and of course the main message you want to get out is this is not a done deal like That's I had right. thought. So this is a fight and these wonderful citizens are very organized, very mobilized. They have uh, people with all levels of expertise um, helping behind the scenes and again supportive of the lds church and a temple being built but just follow the laws of the land and let's put it somewhere else where everybody can be comfortable with it and i think fight i hate to use the word fight i mean i don't know what's a better word fights like cody fights like heber maybe education you use a word like that i don't know but yeah. maybe going forward someday the church will just realize we don't want to do this to communities anymore yeah. we're actually going to go in do some due diligence find out where this can fit Community relations are preserved. Everything's preserved and, and everybody wins. There's no reason for this. There's an answer where everybody wins and, and it doesn't have to be this way. So you guys are pioneers, yeah. I think. Don't you think, Glennon? <laughs> Absolutely. And we, we really enjoyed the time we got to spend with you guys oh, and taking us on the tour of the site and everything. Yeah. Uh, we really enjoyed it. Yeah. So thank it you for great. putting this great. together. Thanks for coming and out.
Yeah. yeah, no, it was really fun. And and we, of course, um, like we've been doing with Cody, when new things happen, um, we will be having Lisa, talking to Lisa and John again just to give updates on what's happening or if there's another way that community outreach or anybody, you know, activism, what we can do to, to try to... Um, to try to support this situation. So we'll keep you guys informed on what's going on. And I think you said the next thing that was happening was a city meeting. Next week, um, next Tuesday. Next week, that's right, next week. Yeah. Okay, so everybody think positive thoughts. And, and, we, will and we'll be putting that, we will be putting that out on our social media. So okay. if you follow us, you'll, you'll know what happens. And, and I'd like to say, instead of fight, let's just stand up for our community. Yeah, stand up for the community. Like I said, I do not like the word fight. And and you guys probably weren't very aware of the post-Mormon community, but back when this was announced and you know we were starting to hear rumblings of it in Dark Sky, there was quite a, there was a huge interest. There were a lot of posts about it on post-Mormon social media. People were really taking note, and then that died off, like you said, because everybody thought it was a done deal. So I predict, don't you, Landon, that this is going to uh, it's going to resurge for all of us, and people are going to go, wait, how can we help? So that yeah. is my thought and hope for all of us here. So, all right. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you so much, John. And thank you, Landon, for coming on. Thank you to all of our Mormonish viewers. We're almost becoming like a Temple Watch channel, right? But it's so interesting and it speaks to a bigger picture that I think I don't even need to to go into. I think you all know what we're we're talking about here. So um, we love our Mormonish viewers. Please like and subscribe. And if you would like to be notified when a new episode comes out, you can hit that notification bell. Um, You can also uh, donate to support Mormonish podcasts if you'd like. And we have links to PayPal and Venmo in our show notes if you'd like to help us out with some kind of monetary donation. And other than that, we'll just say goodbye from Mormonish. Thank you to everybody in Heber. And thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.